following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. We're here in Ephesians 4. We're going to read verses 1 to 16 together, and then we will go to the Lord in prayer. If you will, please look at verse 1. Paul writes, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from which the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We bow your heads. Jesus, we come to you now. Uh, You are the head of the church, the head of the body. You are the one who gives gifts to your people. And we are thankful this morning to have the gift to come together to study your word. I pray that you will bless it and that you will be honored in our time together this morning, we ask in your name. Amen. Well, let me begin this morning with an apology, because it will probably be needed. Um, I have two sermons left as the lead teaching pastor here at Cornerstone. That is probably as hard for me to believe, if not harder, than it is for you to believe. And as the Sundays have been drawing to a close, I've been growing more and more uh, reflective and introspective, a bit emotional at times. Okay, my goal in each of this week and next is just not to cry, by the way, just so you know in advance. Um, And they also will not be very long sermons. You're welcome for that. No one ever complains about that one, so you're good. But I've been giving a lot of thanks to God. But I knew from the beginning of all of this back in January that what what I wanted to do with these two sermons, and that was to be a little bit nostalgic, just to kind of reflect a little bit with you and think back over some things in my own mind uh, that I thought were sort of important to say here at the end. And so that's why I'm beginning with an apology. See, there are two passages of scripture that as I think back over the years here at Cornerstone are, and I'm speaking very, very personally, maybe even very selfishly as I say this, um, they're very special to me. One is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 18 to 31, and the other is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Now, I won't explain the First Corinthians passage at all today. We'll cover that one next week. But today we are going to look at Ephesians 4. 
And I'll be honest with you as well that technically this is the fifth time that I have preached from this particular passage. I promise it was never an attempt on my part to be lazy preaching old sermons so I didn't have to come up with something new each and every time that I've chosen to preach from this passage because it's been special to me over the years. There's always been a reason behind for why I I chose it. But the reason it's particularly special to me is because the very first time I preached on it um, was when I came here to candidate back in July of 2007. So if you don't know what candidating means, like if you're not grown up in a church setting, that's when a guy who's maybe being considered to be a pastor of a church shows up for a weekend and he has one weekend to, to wow everyone with him himself. You know, it's actually kind of an awkward situation, both for the church and the guy, I promise you that. Uh, and I have actually a lot of other thoughts about that process as well. More on that maybe at another time. But uh, came in that weekend, preached, had to answer questions, do a meet and greet. And the passage that I decided to use for that very first sermon in July of 2007 was Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. And I chose this because I felt that it did an excellent job of explaining what the responsibilities of a pastor are to a church, and then conversely, what the responsibilities of a church are to its pastors. But to be honest with you, now when I think back over that, specifically that very first time, um, I sort of laugh at it because I had no idea what I was talking about that Sunday, like none whatsoever. I I, I look back at that uh, sermon, and while I don't disagree with any of the content of the sermon, like I think I preached what the scripture said, and I'm going to do it again today, you know, experientially and really, I didn't, I didn't know. But that's life, right? A lot of times you talk about things that you think you know that you really don't know until you go through it. That was a good example for me. So I'm coming back to this passage one more time today, partially because it just seemed fitting to do so, and then partially because I wanted to remind us of some of the things that are important both for the elders and for the church as we look to the future and think about the days ahead. So what I'm going to do today is very simple, and again, won't take very long. Number one, I want to challenge the elders, which there are none in the room now. They were all in the first service uh, or gone, but I'm going to challenge the elders in absence regarding the responsibility that they have to pastor you for as long as they serve as your pastors here at Cornerstone. And then number two, I want to challenge us as a church in light of these same things as well. And to do that, let's look at this passage here in Ephesians 4, and we'll start with the role and responsibility of the pastor. If you look at your text, after beginning this chapter by urging all of the Ephesians to live out the gospel, which is really what's going on in verses 1 through 10, Paul introduces us to Jesus Christ, the gift giver. And you'll you'll notice that the first three words of verse 11 are, and he gave. And the he, of course, is referring to Jesus. You see that if you back up to verse 7, kind of pick up the context there. But what Paul is focused on here in verse 11 is Jesus' act of giving. And right off the bat, when you see that and understand it, it sort of forces you to ask two questions of the text. Number one, what is it that he's giving? And then number two, to whom is he giving it? And the answer to that first question can be found here in verse 11. What is it that Christ is giving? Well, according to the text, he's giving various roles. He's giving the role of apostle. He's giving the role of prophet, the role of evangelist, and the role of shepherd teacher. And those two terms there should go together in your minds because they are two words describing the same exact role. So these are his gifts. That answers question number one. Question number two was, to whom is he giving them? And the answer to that question comes in verse 12. Again, notice two very important words or phrases here in verse 12. Notice the word saints, and then notice the phrase body of Christ. 
And you don't have to have been a Christian for very long or to have a theology degree of any sort to guess what the word saints and the word body of Christ refers to. That's simply referring to the church. So what you have here is Christ giving these gifts to his church, to his body. And I point this out right off the bat because there's a a tendency or a temptation perhaps to misunderstand the nature of what's being described for us here in Ephesians 4. You should not read this section and understand that Paul is saying that Christ gave these gifts to individual people. For example, that he gave Peter the gift of being an apostle, or that he gave so-and-so the gift of being a prophet, or so-and-so the gift of being a shepherd teacher. That's not what he's saying. No, he is specifically giving these roles, generically speaking, to his church. Now, I can say uh, from personal experience that this has been a very humbling thought for me over the years and for all the other elders as well. I can speak for them on this point. My joke normally right about here is what we like the gag gifts or the white elephant gifts, you know, when Jesus is doling those things out. So there's no exchange, unfortunately. But, you know, it really is a weighty thought to realize that you are filling a role that Jesus has given to his church. And that's why 1 Corinthians 1 has meant so much to me also over these past few years. But again, we'll talk about that one next week. This is how Paul introduces this section to us, by listing for us the various gifts that Jesus gave to his body. But that's not all he's doing in this section. Not only is he telling us that Jesus gave these gifts, but he also tells us why these gifts were given. Notice the purpose of the gifts. And please note, I'm only going to focus on the shepherd-teacher component this morning because that's all we're talking about today. The other ones I'm just going to ignore for the morning. But, but the first clue into the purpose of these gifts comes in the very terms that Paul uses to describe these people. He, he uses the term shepherd. Now, some of your translations might say pastor, and that's okay because the word pastor and the word shepherd are interchangeable. They mean the same thing. Well, Christ is clearly the great shepherd of the church, the good shepherd, as he calls himself. He has left under shepherds in his absence to care for his flock while he is away. And as shepherds, it is the elder's responsibility, number one, to guard, care for, and lead the flock. And so to guard it from wolves is one of their responsibilities, from those who would seek to harm you, to guard it from false teachers, those who would seek, whether they come from within or without, to to lead you astray from the truth of Jesus and the scriptures, Uh, to care for the church as a father cares for his children. And again, until you have served in that capacity, you don't maybe understand how non-melodramatic that statement is. You really do get a sense of that when you serve as a pastor or as an elder of a church. You begin to feel like... (laughs) Again, don't be offended, but all of you are our children in some strange way, and you love them, and you cry with them when they cry, you rejoice with them when they rejoice, so you care for them and love them, and to lead the church in the path that they should go. That's the idea of what it means to be a shepherd. The second idea he gives us here is the term teacher. So as teachers, it's the elder's responsibility to teach you the word of God, both publicly and privately. Now, normally when most people think about an elder's responsibility to teach, they typically think about what I'm doing right now in a Sunday morning service. And obviously that is a part of it. But let me remind you this morning again that that's all that is. It's just a part of it. It's an important part, but it's just a part. You know, functionally speaking, for the past 10 and a half years, I have carried the majority of that responsibility to stand up and teach you on a Sunday morning. But In a couple weeks, it will be Chris's responsibility to stand up and teach you on a Sunday morning, and he's going to do a fantastic job at that. 
But understand, that's just part of the job. When you think about the qualifications for being an elder that are listed for us in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, you see that an elder, regardless of his function within the church, must be able to teach all of them. So that doesn't simply refer to the main teaching guy, right? It's, it's, it's everybody. It's Chris's responsibility, then it's Jordan's and Caleb's and John's and Nathan's responsibility. All of them together collectively are, are supposed to be able to teach you God's word. And it doesn't also just apply to preaching sermons either. Because the truth is that the majority of the teaching that any elder does, any elder, myself included, Chris, when he's in this role, the majority of the teaching actually happens away from the spot. It happens in living rooms and across tables and at Starbucks and in cars and in community groups and in a million other places. That's just the nature of the job. In other words, the responsibility that he's giving the elders here is not to preach sermons. The responsibility he's giving them here is to accurately and faithfully communicate God's truth to the church. And then you see the third responsibility they have in verse 12 when he says that these gifts are given, all four of these roles are given in order to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. That's another responsibility the elders have. They are to be equipping you to go out and do the work of ministry here at Cornerstone. Uh, that means that they're, they're supposed to be preparing you to be the ministers that you truly are. And again, that happens in public ways and it happens in private ways. It happens in group settings. It happens in individual settings. However it happens, the elders need to be equipping the people. So just at a very quick walkthrough, you see three primary, I think actually probably the three primary responsibilities that an elder has for a church. They're to be shepherding, they're to be equipping, or lead, excuse me, teaching, and then they're to be equipping. And Cornerstone, I say to you, since they're not here, you can definitely say it uh, very broad, uh, strongly now, you always need to make sure, you've done a great job of this in the past, never stop, you need to make sure that you hold the elders responsible and accountable to be doing these three things. That's your role in this church and how we function together. So continue doing that. But here's a truth that I think many people forget in this kind of discussion. Not only do the elders have responsibilities to you, but guess what? You have responsibilities to the elders as well. When you say, uh, Stacy, I don't see any of that in the text. What are you talking about here? Well, it's here in the text. I promise you, let me show you. First, if it's the elder's responsibility to shepherd you, then it is your responsibility to be shepherdable. It's your responsibility. That's not a word, but it is now. Your responsibility to be shepherdable. That means that when they come to you and they ask you to do something out of obedience to Jesus Christ in the scriptures, do it. It means that when they come to you and they warn you about something, either in your own life or maybe you know, as a group, as a church, or something personally individual, listen to them because they're caring for your soul when they try to lead you in a certain direction follow them. Now, understand that doesn't mean that you just blindly follow them wherever they may be going, you know, like don't ask any questions. Oh, the elder said it, so we should just do it. No, that's not what I'm talking about at all. What I'm talking about though here is a biblical view of submission within a local church. The writer of Hebrews says it like this, chapter 13, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I mean, you hear what he says here, that someday the elders are going to give an account for each and every soul entrusted to us. And at that moment, I, I mean, I don't know what that's going to be like. I've never fully understood all the ramifications of this particular passage. <laughs> it's a scary passage, believe me, when you serve in this function. But I'm picturing, you know, Jesus saying, did you equip them? You know, well, I tried. Did you teach them? I tried, but they wouldn't listen. I didn't. You know, like I 
if, if that's how it is at that moment that we have to give an account for you that's with groaning, <laughs> the, it's, not, it, it's not to your advantage. And that sounds negative. I don't know what it means. I just know it's not good. So let's try to avoid that if we can, okay? So, so this is what the scriptures say. We should be shepherdable. Number two, if it's the elder's responsibility to teach you, then it is your responsibility to be teachable. You see where this is going here? Um, you know, as long as these men are being faithful and honest with the scriptures, teaching you God's word should never be a fight. And thankfully, it never has been. Well, there might have been an exception or two along the way, but for, by and large, it has not been. And I'm so thankful for, again for that. Again, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you just blindly accept anything that's taught to you as being gospel truth on par with scripture. No, you're, you are to be like the Bereans, constantly going back, checking God's word, making sure the things you're being taught are true, and also recognize that the elders, they're not perfect, and they don't know everything, nor do I. I actually had to preach an entire sermon one time that was <laughs> walking back everything I had said in the previous sermon because I completely misunderstood the passage and had gotten it all wrong. And that's, you know what? That's okay. We're not perfect. I, I quote to you again something I've said so many times, that, that thing our professor said to us in seminary, the day you stop changing is the day you stop growing. And he's right. Because unless you've got every you know, I dotted and T crossed in your theology and you understand Jesus perfectly and the scriptures perfectly, you've got some area to grow. And the elders do too. Just remember that. They're learning and growing just like you and so work together. But as they are able to accurately teach you God's word, your responsibility is to be a willing student. You should be teachable. And then number three, if it's the elder's responsibility to equip you, then it's your responsibility to be equipable. And it's important to note that here in the text, the responsibility for doing the work of ministry does not fall on these roles or even on their wives. Throw that out there for the wife's sake too. It falls on the body of Christ. All of those roles are given to equip the saints to go out and do the work of ministry so that the body of Christ can be built up. So, so it's not the elder's responsibility to do the ministry around here. They're, they're not your, you know, your spiritual hired guns so that you can sit back and do whatever you want in life and let them take care of it. That's, that's a completely wrong way of understanding the relationship between the elder and the church. They're not your spiritual service providers here to marry you and bury you and just take care of all the other things that go on in between. You know, that's, not the, that's not the goal at all. The responsibility of ministry is placed on the saints. The elder's job is to equip, but you're responsible to do it, which means then the very thing that we have said here for years, right? That everyone at Cornerstone really is a minister of Jesus Christ. That's what you are. It's that saying, you know, you're not, whatever it is you do, you're not a stay-at-home mom or you're in the Navy or a business person, whatever. You're really a minister of Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as one of those things. All we're doing with that statement is we're drawing a dividing line between what we do and who we truly are. In reality, all of us together are ministers of Jesus Christ who just happen to get our paychecks from different places and live in different neighborhoods and do different things here and there. But, but in our essence, we're the same. And since we're all ministers, well, guess what? Then we're all responsible together to do the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So if it's the elder's job to equip you to do the ministry, it is your job, your responsibility to go out and do it. That relationship is a two-way street. Don't ever forget that. And you want to know what happens when everyone is doing what they're supposed to be doing? Well, um, if you look at verse 12 and 13, you get the answer to that when the shepherds are 
are shepherding and teaching and equipping the people or being faithful to follow and learn and serve. He says in verse 12 that the body of Christ it is built up. It, it's built up. It, it grows. It's developing. And that continues, he says in verse 13, until heaven, when we all come to the unity of the faith. No more disputes about theology. No more bickering about this and that because now we're all one in our understanding of Jesus and of, of God's truth until we've come to a mature manhood, he says, to the very measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, until we've actually accomplished our mission here at Cornerstone, which is to work with all the energy God gives us to preach, the God, preach Christ to everyone to make them perfect in him. But until that day, what do we do? Well, verse 14, he says, let's stop being children. And you can kind of contrast that statement with the, the statement about being mature in verse 13. He says, stop being children. Stop being tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. I believe this here. I believe that. No, no, no. Stop that. Stop being tossed here and there by waves and carried about by the trickery of men. Stop being tossed here and there by waves, carried about by craftiness and deceitful scheming. In contrast to that, verse 15, let's speak the truth in love. And in doing so, he says, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know what you have right there? That is an actual biblical paradigm for church growth. I mean, real, genuine, spiritual church growth. This is where you find it here in Ephesians chapter 4. As I said at the beginning, uh, I preached most of that sermon. It's changed a little bit over time. I preached most of that sermon in July 2007, but I now know that I didn't really fully understand <laughs> even all the things I was saying, even if they were true. I didn't understand the full reality of everything I said. But as I stand here today, understanding more clearly the truths and practicalities and realities of everything I just said, and as I look to the future of Cornerstone and to the men that God has currently gifted us with as elders and pastors here at the church, I am completely and unhesitatingly confident that God has great things for us in the future. And for that, I am inexpressibly thankful to God for his love and goodness to Cornerstone over these past 10 years. And for the pastors of the church who are going to continue to lead us into the future and what, for what I know will be some very, very exciting days ahead. Will you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we thank you for the gifts that you have given to us and how you, because you care for your church, because you are the great shepherd, have, have put together a plan to, to bring all of these things together, all of these pieces, um, so that the church can grow numerically, yes, but more importantly, can grow into the fullness of the maturity that you are. And we know that's not going to happen on this earth. Sin is too strong. We are too weak. But we know that that day is coming in heaven when we will see you face to face and we will finally be like you as a result. And all those problems and differences, they're going to all be put aside and we will finally, your church, universal will be one in you. And so until that day, Lord, as that plays itself out here in the life of Cornerstone, I pray that the elders will be doing their part properly functioning. May they be shepherding and teaching and equipping according to your truth. 
loving the people that you've entrusted to their care. I pray for our church body that they will be shepherdable and teachable and equipable and that everyone who looks in will be able to see just a very small, maybe broken, definitely imperfect, but, but at least a small picture of what it looks like when a church is trying to function according to what the New Testament tells us. So thank you for your goodness to us in all these things over the years. Thank you for all that you have given us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.